Hi. A quick word before we start. This podcast discussion of the TV show Silo is being released in the spirit of support for the striking WGA and SAG-AFTRA unions based on guidance from their members that promotion of their work helps them gain bargaining power in their negotiations. Please stay tuned toward the end of the episode for a deeper discussion of the strike recorded not long after the SAG-AFTRA announcement. Welcome to a special bonus edition of Wool Shift Dust. It's the first and last ever Wool Shift Dust Lorehounds podcast silo season one awards game show. Hi, everybody. Luke, the Lorehounds and I are here to wrap up our silo season one thoughts in the form of some seriously silly awards. Uh, as always, I'll be here repping the book readers and my co-host Luke repping the non-book readers. Expect full spoilers for the first season of Silo and Apple TV Plus and spoilers from the equivalent source material about half the book Wool by Hugh Howey. But we won't be spoiling anything that happens after episode 10's jaw-dropping cliffhanger. Anyone looking for those spoilers should stick around until the end of this podcast for more information about the new Silo series book club. Um, Luke, are you ready to say goodbye to our season one coverage with the most meaningless award show ever to get thrown at Apple TV Plus? Oh, I am really ready for this. Although, listeners, I have I, I had no idea that this was going to be done in the form of an awards show. <laughs> Surprise! You didn't have to prepare anything. I told you one question I was going to ask you. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I'm also excited to welcome back uh, David and John from the Lorehounds, picking back up where we left off in our mid-season bonus crossover. Uh, John, you have since read all the books. Has that affected your thoughts about season one at all? Well, I was shocked to find out that it was all a dream in the end and that they were they were all dead <laughs> David on the, Lynch again. the whole time. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, I actually think that it, it did illuminate some things about some of the characters in the show, but I ended up liking the show better than the first half of Wool. I okay. think that I just think that Hugh Howie and I, I think he alluded to this in your interview with him. He was not really sure where he was going with it right. at first, and you can kind of tell that. Whereas this show cements Juliet as a main character right away, and it gives you stakes right away, and it tells the stories of Holston and Johns and Marnes just just very well, but very contained, sort of like the uh, Bill episode of The Last of Us. And okay. yeah, so I, I just think that the show, because of hindsight, advantages mm -hmm. was able to p tell a tighter story yeah no that's fair that's fair um and uh david you're with luke in the non-readers camp um how surprised were you by that finale i thought the reveal was really great i got a great kick out of it i really enjoyed it i thought that the way that they set up the season so that we got a payoff, but then it left us with a huge amount of mystery at the end was perfect. Uh, the visual really punched right into that feeling of, oh my Lord, what is going on? I do want to 
claim a few internet points. I think I posted this on our Discord channel early on in the season that I thought the interview finder seemed funny. There was okay. something about it. And, and I remember when they had the uh, green screen, well, I think everybody calls it the green screen, but when there's that moment where the viewfinder in one of right. the early episodes resets and we see a, a green flash. Yeah. Yeah, flash for a second. Which is interesting because it's not green out there. So what's up with that? But anyway, the there was a uh, something that triggered me thinking that oh hey this is this looks like the inner visor thing, and so I I called out that the, I think the visor was lying as well. So okay, yeah, yeah. About the green flash, um, Hugh Howard kind of responded that he doesn't necessarily see that it's a it's not in the book like that. Um, he doesn't necessarily see the logic in it, but that. Um, he thought of it when he talked about a green flash, he thought it would be maybe like what you see when, you know, there's a flash of technology and you get that green screen behind it with the code. Mm -hmm. That's what he was picturing more. And I, yeah, so. I, I mean, it could be, yeah, I, I can headcanon yeah. it as a, a piece of digital artifact, something in the buffer yeah. or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I loved the reveal and I, my internet points are down on the fact that the number 18 key that, um, What's his name? Right. Had mm -hmm. Bernard. That Bernard had. Um, I wonder if they're silo number eighteen. That's my current pet theory. Okay, and there, there is, by the way, another theory about why the green would look like lush greenery outside, but that's uh, something we can't talk about until after we have a little more information in the show. <laughs> There's so much that we can't <laughs> talk about. Anyway. I know. Um, yeah, and so we're also joined by Jean, uh, David, and my co-host from the Lore Hounds MC Universe podcast currently covering Secret Invasion. Uh, Jean, you were almost going to have to miss this today, so I'm glad you could be here. Um, now, no spoilers about the categories, but did you get a look at them before you realized I you'd be able to join? Look. No? I did not okay. look. I did not okay. look. Um, when I realized Mother Nature was going to step in, uh, I said, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to sneak peek, and I'm going to be totally surprised um, by the categories. So, yeah, I'm... Just like a non-book reader, I am a non-category reader. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because we've got a couple dynamics going on here. Um, so two of us have read the books, uh, John and I, and the other three have not. And so then I guess I'm the only one who knows the awards questions and everyone else doesn't. Um, this should be interesting. <laughs> now, uh, before we get into the game, I just wanted to check in with everyone on where we are on the season overall. Now, John, sticking with you... Um, it's been so fun to watch your enthusiasm for Silo as the season unfolded. At, at what point do you think the show really had you? From I like the first it from episode. episode one. Oh, are you are you, are you doing <laughs> John? Oh man, we finally did it. We finally did it. Leave it in. Yeah. We we predicted that this would happen. <laughs> so from the first episode, I was in. Okay. Yeah, they locked me in the very first episode. Um, I. Thoroughly enjoyed this this um, season. I really enjoyed this story. Um, there's really nothing that I will quibble with as far as what I've watched over the ten episodes. I yeah, I'm immersed in the story. Um, and before season two, I will be a book reader. Okay. So, yeah. And um, we, I guess you were happy with the finale then. Um, the finale just yeah the. I'm so stoked and interested into what happens next. Like the clues that they gave us, the visual, like David said, at that final shot was like, oh, okay, this is going someplace that 
I'm really, really interested in, in going to. So yeah, the finale knocked everything that I wanted um, out of a finale and left me wanting a lot more. Okay, cool. And and David, what were some of the characters' moments and overall themes from season one that stood out to you the most? Uh, I really enjoyed Walker's story. Uh, the idea that she is down there at the bottom of the silo and and not leaving and and just staying locked in. I thought the layering of the political control systems was interesting, that there's a civil administration that's being backed up by a secret governance uh, administration. I, I like that. It's like, oh, well, you know, you've got raiders and judicial and sheriffs. Well, you've got to have somebody just keeping the daily peace, just talking about, uh, oh, you know, somebody kicked over my plant stand and I need reparations for that. Okay, well, who's going to do that? The sheriffs are going to do that. So I enjoyed the fact that Hugh Howey was able to think about and play out different political structures and different political uh, methodologies of how does a society manage itself? One yeah. thought I had was about the Raiders. Mm-hmm. I, if I were a Raider, I wouldn't want anybody to know what my job was. I would mm-hmm. want some sort of cover job because those people are all jerks. I'm going to say it in a nice way. <laughs> they, I mean, yeah. it seems I, like they're all friends with each other, right? Like they, it's just very insular. They must have a close society. Yeah. Right? They, yeah. Must, they must have like culture. nice housing together or something. They get a floor, yeah, yeah, company yeah. housing. It's like, it's yeah. like um, what's that show? Severance, where everybody's yeah. got a company house. Right, exactly. Yeah, and um, John. <laughs> uh, Good luck. Uh, you obviously like the show enough to go out and read the books. Uh, so you, you even started with the books before the finale. So what do you think drew you in and made you want to do that? Um, I hate not knowing what's coming next, as you mm-hmm. can probably tell by the whole structure of the Lorehounds, which usually ends up me being the book reader, even if I wasn't to begin with, because I cannot... I have no I know I have no patience really for mm-hmm. to to let this plot unfold. And you said something to me early that I said, you know, it, it got spoiled for me because I was on the Wikipedia and I went I went too far. You know when that happens. You go too mm-hmm. far on Wikipedia. It was spoiled for me that Holston was going to see green outside. Okay. And I was like, yeah, this was already spoiled for me. So I already know what's going on outside. And you said to me, well, that's not the the big reveal like you like don't don't worry that'll be fine uh-huh. basically and i think that that's a great way to put it because this is one of the best ways to do a twist which is it takes the first twist the first reveal and turns it on its head and sort of recontextualizes it right and i think when i when i found out i that that i think i also got spoiled on what really was going on outside i was like oh that's really interesting that it's actually a fake conspiracy to mm-hmm. hide the real conspiracy, I guess. And that's what drew me in is this like layered mystery where I can't tell who is telling the truth, who is lying, who is who's really in charge, really. And right. I just needed to know. I needed to know as soon as possible. And so I, I read all the books. <laughs> and Luke, we've obviously talked a lot about your thoughts in this season, but um, setting up the next series we're going to host starting in August. What are some similarities you see between Silo and Dune so far? Well, I mean, I think that there are far more differences than there are similarities. Yeah, you think? Um, between them. Yeah, just just because Silo 
I always took Silo is set in a parallel universe. I always took Dune being set in our universe just a long, long, long way in the future. Um, okay. And I think that makes a difference. Um, Wait, can I ask a question? Why is Silo set in a parallel universe? Because they have kind of the the all the tech looks mm-hmm. kind of like what you would get in our world, but not quite. Okay. So I've always took that that it was a parallel universe or a branch somewhere, but because everything is similar enough that it looks right, but it's different okay. enough okay. that it comes from somewhere else. Like the the whole thing with the the way the computer drive looks and the way the computers look. And mm-hmm. like the fact that they have like sound and visuals on on CCTV and stuff like that. So I mean, I very well could be wrong about that. Okay. But what are the other uh, differences or similarities you see? So I think the the big similarity is that both stories are as interested in building out the broader world, the broader universe, then then they are as interested in that as they are in the characters. So Arrakis is a character in Dune. The silo, mm-hmm. the actual physicality of the silo is a character in the show. Right. So these aren't just environments where the plot happens mm-hmm. or where the characters interact. They are fundamental characters and fundamental to the story. All right. Alicia, do you mind if I jump in a, a, oh, yeah, a, a no, June no, no, comment please. too? Please. Oh, yes. I, yeah. By the way, uh, David has read all the books, like, would you say like five or six times? The Dune books? Yeah. Yes. Uh, all all six books, all the core six yeah. original books that were written by Herbert. I haven't read any of the uh, additional materials. And uh, we were, can I plug the Properly Howard uh, oh, please. episode? Yes. So one of our affiliate podcasts in our network that uh, this show is on and our show we have Properly Howard Film Review, which is Maester Anthony and his buddy Steve Osborne. Uh, Anthony is a academic and Steve is a stand-up comic and they do film reviews and it's a lot of fun. And we just got to go on their show for a Dune 2021 Villeneuve uh, review. And that should be out, I think, uh, I don't remember, in August, I think, is when uh, that's going to be out. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to, to say was... On another track, we're just starting up Foundation Season 2, and we're doing full coverage of that. And I think that there's a lot more conversation between Foundation and Dune than oh, there yeah. is oh, with Silo. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and there's, and, a, and there's yeah. a lot of interesting things there. Well, they're both I, kind of, quote-unquote, impossible to adapt. <laughs> That's for true. A lot of the same Very reasons. difficult. Yeah. I, I I will see your Foundation and raise you a Wheel of Time on okay. the influence of Dune. Yeah, now that sure. I've seen Dune, yeah. I think that Wheel of Time is just like Dune in a fantasy world oh, yeah. in a lot get, of ways. Really? Get ready yeah. for the Aiel. Yeah. Huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're right, going to love um, it. All right. That's going to be cool. this season they're coming. So, yeah, so you are, you're going to have a great time. And, and they've shown previews of it and it looks perfect. But yeah, you'll definitely see the Dune. Uh, yes, Luke? Just to get back to Silo for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so this last week I've been away for work. So I've been, I've been staying in a premier inn, which is like a cruddy chain motel in, in the UK. Um, and I thought I better do some prep for this podcast. So I've been rewatching like the first four episodes of Silo on my phone, you know, okay. with chunky Wi-Fi. So basically, so basically the worst possible format 
to watch anything. And it still holds up. I mean, I, I thought that was, like, obviously I've enjoyed the series and I've noted the quality in all sorts of ways in previous episodes. But the fact that I could watch it on my phone and still enjoy it, that, that really speaks to the, the quality of the show in terms of its acting, in terms of the way it's put together. So yeah, like yeah. the worst possible format imaginable, it still works. It's still engaging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's definitely, I, I mean, there's a reason why word of mouth is like really carried. I mean, it's not just helping the show, but Apple TV Plus, as we talked about in the interview with you, Howie. My mom even got into the show and she is not wow. a big sci-fi buff. Uh, that that she got into it mm-hmm. uh, because we're covering, well, you're covering it and I was right. talking about it and she's actually a subscriber to our show. So mm-hmm. um, she heard about it and then she wanted to check it out. She thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And then got totally invested in it and- that really blew me away that the yeah. show of this nature and of this storyline, you know, with the heavy sci-fi dystopian. Aspect. It's not her, her, not a cup of tea normally. Not a, not her normal genre stuff. But what was interesting to her was the characters yeah, and that it was a character story forward. Right. And uh, I think, you know, to back up Luke's point, which is it's watchable and all these things and it's, it looks great and, and all of that. It's also a great show because it has good characters and compelling stories and there are stakes involved and they get us to invest in who these people are. And, and I think so when we back all these things together, yeah, it's a it's a real hit. Yeah, um, my mom, well, she watched too, but she also she she's one of the people I got to read Wool, you know, back in the day. Um, but she's it's been a while since she read it. And it was funny as she was watching after certain episodes, she would message me and she'd be like, I really like am questioning my memory. I don't remember like this and that. I'm like, no, 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 none of that's in the books. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now that all the players have been identified, let's let the games begin after this quick commercial break. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Round one. All right. The awards game begins. Here's how it works. Uh, In round one, I will present everyone with 10 different awards categories with five nominees each. Uh, None of you have any prior knowledge of the awards categories or nominees except me because I made them up. And for each award, I will give five options, but feel free to choose an option that's not on the list. The nominees are merely suggestions in this game of silo-coded nonsense. Um, Just tell us in a sentence or two why you picked your pick and a winner, or possibly more than one winner, will be crowned. And um, the winner will get nothing but our respect, but that should be worthy enough award for anyone. (laughs) Round two will be a rapid-fire round in two parts, one for book readers, one for the show-only guys. Don't worry, no spoilers. Um, And we'll talk more about that after round one. Okay, is everybody ready? Go on. Yes. As ever as I will be, I think. (laughs) All right, I'm just going to uh, read out the category, the five nominees, and uh, and then just randomly call on you one at a time to make your pick. I'm starting broad for the first category. 
starting with best episode. And I've nominated five. Like I said, feel free to throw out another one if you prefer. So my nominees are A, episode one, Freedom Day, Allison's Story. B, episode three, Machines, Generator Repair. C, episode six, The Relic, George's Secrets. D, episode eight, Hannah, Father-Daughter Reconciliation and Martha's Agoraphobia. And E, episode 10, Outside the Finale. All right, starting with co-host Luke. I am gonna I am gonna go for episode one. Simply on the basis that it is so easy to for a show to lose me at the pilot. Like a show has to grab me in that first episode or I walk. <laughs> I don't watch three episodes in to see how it goes. Um so that pilot was incredibly effective in setting up the world of the silo and setting up the rules and giving you just enough information, giving you just enough of a taste of what's going on to fire your curiosity and your imagination. And um, David Yellowo and Rashida Jones deserve like some award for best one episode performances because they had so little time to nail the characters of Holston and Allison. And both of them absolutely nailed it to the wall. Um, and I know I said this in previous episodes, but I really want Holston and Allison, the spin-off series. I don't care what they're doing. They don't have to be doing anything in particular. I just want to spend more time with these two people. Okay. I've seen them do it a lot, but I, I <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a lot, there's a lot of things being done. Yeah. yeah. Um, and okay, John, what's your pick for this category? Ooh. It is tough. It is tough. Well, as you were listing them, I was like, how do I pick one of these? It's like it's like picking your favorite child. I know. My <laughs> child is running up right now. Do you want to be my favorite? Um <laughs> I guess uh I, I, I'm gonna say episode ten. I'm gonna I'm okay. gonna do oh, it gonna because it. because the the it's the reveal, you know? How do you how do you match that? It takes the previous reveals and it turns it on its head. Right. In a way that is so satisfying. And like you said, David, it leaves you with more questions than answers. And that is something that is very hard to do in a show, especially in the, you know, the Reddit era where everyone is speculating every week. And uh, I, I loved it. Okay. And Jean, what is your pick? Did, did we have episode three? Yeah, that was on there. Choice? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you with, could you could add it I'm, otherwise, but it's there. Yeah, I'm going with episode three. Okay. Machines for me. Um, I I just love the scene when um, who was it? Ruth and Sam were you know got on their backpacks and they started going down to the lower levels. Right. And I was yeah. saying to myself, "Oh man, they actually have to walk. Like, how many? <laughs> how long does it take to get there?" And just um, yeah, I just like that we meet Juliet's dad in that episode as well. Right. Um, and when she gets the badge and turns it over and sees the word truth, mm-hmm. to me, I, I was just like, okay, I, what was hosting up to at that point, right? What, what's the truth that he's trying to get her specifically to understand and to see, yeah. um, which I guess, you know, was the, the reason of the following episodes. 
her tracking down this truth. Um, so I really, for me, episode three was the one that made me, I enjoyed it from the very beginning. Right. But this okay. one was the one that hooked me. All right. That really got me peaked, my interest peaked, because now I wanted to know how she was going to find this truth and what this truth was. Right. All right. And uh, David? Do you have a category coming up later for least favorite? Uh, No, feel free to throw it on the table now. All right. Well, uh, machines. Sorry, Jean. So maybe that gets a a cancellation note. (laughs) It's because of the way that they did the whole fan blade thing. I, I lost my verisimilitude in that. Edit it out. They, they, they oh, won I, me I, back. I, I love the worry. fan blade. I love the yeah. fan blade. It, oh, it didn't didn't work for me. It worked uh, for me. But my my favorite is going to be the relics episode where we get a lot more interesting story stuff going on, right. as well as starting to give us some more mystery. Uh, yeah, that uh, really is a real head scratcher stuff and really drives characters in a way. But we also get, um, what's the, was it George, the guy, IT guy down yeah. in the basement? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the episode, I believe, where we learn about right. the fact that he has been in love before with right. some other people. We meet Regina. And yeah, and Juliet feels a little bit like she's been played. And I thought that setup and then the resolution of that was a really nice part of the show that I wasn't expecting. Uh, so that this that episode did a lot of duty to uh, lock in some twists and turns for us in the character realm, as okay. well as the mystery realm. Right. Uh, yeah, that's also my pick, by the way. Um, I just I, I thought the writing was just so perfectly balanced between. Um, yeah, just exploring the character development and yeah, the directing also between the. Uh, connection with uh, George and Juliet and and the way you questioned everything within the same episode. And there was also just like perfectly balanced little bits of humor sprinkled in. I just thought that episode was perfection. So winner is episode six, The Relic. (laughs) Gets the first uh, woolly. Um. (laughs) What's the statue? A little crumpled rag? uh, Yeah. A bronze drag. It just dropped in front of a microphone. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. And now for the second category, best blink and you'll miss him character. And your options are A, Sandy, the the assistant from the sheriff's office who moved to 105. B, Camille Sims. C, Regina the ex. D, Danny from IT. E, Diego Avias, and of course, as always, you can add your own nominees. Uh, let's start this time with Jean. Sandy. Sandy? All right. Yeah, hands down, Sandy. I miss Sandy. She was spicy. Uh, I want her back. Um, I'm hoping to see her again. Uh, I, I I think, uh, I don't know, I'm blanking on the actress who plays her, um, but she, I thought she was great. Um, yeah. I loved, I loved everything about her distrust. Um, I loved everything about her uh, wanting to um, protect her, you know, former, I guess, colleague, coworker, whatever you want to call them. Um, but yeah, Sandy, hands down. Okay. She needs to okay. come back. I think mm-hmm. her name is uh, Chipo Chung. 
Yes, that's correct. Okay. Thank, yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, David, what's your pick? Oh boy, it's between the IT or no, the hacker dude who mm-hmm. jacked the the cameras, and I was gonna say probably Sandy as well, but I'll go with the with the hacker dude with Danny. Okay. Yeah the the fact that you have within the silo culture a hacker community is very cool, and or, or maybe who is the guy. Who is the other uh, ar- uh, illegal artifacts trader? Oh, Patrick Kennedy. I don't know. Does he qualify as blink and you'll miss him? But- nah, yeah, he was in yeah. it a little bit yeah. more, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. 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 No, he's he, he's not he's not blink and you'll miss it. He's like the best comedy relief. Apart from <laughs> him and him and, Di- him and Diego obvious are like the best comedy relief. In but the, Diego yeah. obvious is on the list. Yeah. All right. All right, who so is you the go actor? With- I should look up the actor here uh, who plays Patrick because he's been in some other stuff. Rick Gomez. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't recognize. I, I know that I've seen him in other things, and I and I can't remember. Yeah, I looked. I looked face. him up, and I wasn't really familiar. But I, I mean, it's somebody who now I want to go watch his other stuff because yeah, he just he, nailed he it. Fun. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love the fact that there is a hacker culture here, and yeah. that IT for as all knowing as they are, there are folks who are getting around systems and using systems and there's uh, an illegal economy here. Mm -hmm. I think that's always an important thing. There's always going to be black market and counter authoritarian forces, activities, people in any culture. One of the things I really liked about Battlestar Galactica, the original end in the second was that there is a black market uh, that goes on among these ships and there is illegal trade going on. And so to get a glimpse of that, I knew it was around, but to actually see it embodied was perfect. Yeah. All right. So wait, was Danny then your final vote? The IT kid? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the hacker kid? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Once again, I agree with you. Um, I, it was really close call between mm. him and Camille. Two for two so far. I know. It was this, a really close bumps. call between him and Camille, but I don't know. I just, and I think maybe it's because he's sort of like the Scotty replacement, this character from the books. And maybe I just am naturally inclined to have a soft spot for him. I don't know. Um, Luke, what about you? Um, I like Camille. I like Shirley, but I'm going to go for Down Deep Deputy Hank. Okay. A, because I've had fun spending 10 weeks trying to teach you how to pronounce Billy Possible's <laughs> name. Um, and because I think one of the, one of the things I'm hoping to get out of season two is that we spend much more time with Shirley Knox and mm-hmm. Hank in the Down Deep. I think there is a lot more you can do with that community, particularly in the context of where season one left off. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think, I think in terms of minor characters that could become middling characters, I would say him and Shirley would be like my two top bets going forward. Okay. And maybe Camille as well, actually. Well, I've got so. an awards category for you later. Um, John, what's your pick? I'm going Danny. I'm, okay. I'm adding to the Danny pool, and I'll tell you why. Is that he knows his limits. When he has Bernard searching for him, he knows I can get around this for a while, but they're going to be able to figure out where I am. And that is something that you don't see often from a hacker character. Usually they're like, yeah, I can use the flux capacitor to get past the firewall and no one will ever find me. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm good. But they got they got computers that I don't 
So right. um, we got to move. I really loved that uh, in addition to all the things David said, but that was really the characteristic that stuck out to me. All right. Can then, I throw in something before you reveal? Sure, 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 sure. Just to add I into mean, the, <laughs> when they see the video image moving, mm-hmm. they're blown away. <laughs> they're like, right. what the F is this? We We have no concept of what it is that we're watching here. And I loved that uh, adding to the realism as well. Yeah, they're yeah. used to eight bit character text stuff, but not a actual moving image. That was really, really nicely done. Yeah, it's like seeing a ghost, right? If you're totally. not used to people who are dead ever being animated again, yeah, it's like seeing a ghost. Yeah, and uh, we as we as the uh, Woolshift Dust Lorehounds community agree with Hugh Howey. The best blink and you'll miss it character is Danny from IT. Woohoo! Congratulations, <laughs> Danny. Um, okay, now taking it down a notch. Next category is saddest death. And the options are A, Allison, B, Holston, C, Johns, D, Marnes, E, George. And of course, any Trumbull fans, feel free to speak up. Now, uh, starting with John this time. Oh, boy. Uh, That's tough. I'm going to say it is Allison. Okay. Because she believed so wholeheartedly that she was going off to live in a free place. And it just wasn't true. And, And because her death and her belief in this caused even Holston to believe her and also die thinking that he was going to a better place but then realizing everything was terrible right that's fair jean what about you allison allison also okay um that was heartbreaking her her whole arc was just that it was it was tough yeah um finding out that they never really she never they never really had a chance at Mm -hmm. what they were desperately attempting to do and um, thinking that, you know, once I get out of here, there's something so much better waiting for me. Um, and not in the metaphysical sense, but in actuality, you know, something I can reach out and touch that is better right. than what I know. Um, and then having her fall, just boop, at the tree was just mm-hmm. devastating. Um, yeah. And wondering what she must have been wondering as you know as she started to 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 go that that was really and i think it set up a lot of things um for me and for the rest of the of the series okay yeah um i think all these deaths are uh devastating allison's also i'm gonna jump in here for a minute switch it up and advocate for uh mayor johns because i I know she was toward the end of her life. And so it's not as much like, you know, with Allison, you feel the wasted potential. She was happily married and all of that. Uh, But with Mayor Johns, you know, she had spent 50 years of her life denying that she was in love with, uh, you know, the closest person to her in the world. And just as they discovered that and opened that up to each other and, uh, you know, were ready to embrace that that possibility and, um, that's, that's it. That's the moment she, you know, got so close to happiness and then lost it at the last possible second for reasons that aren't even totally clear. Cause it might've even just been completely an accident. Uh, okay. Um, 
David, what about you? Did the do we know if the rabbit made it out? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, no, I, I have theories. The rabbit survived and had okay. Many all right, babies. so then the rabbit We're... is not eligible. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, I am. I was. I've been debating, and I was really swayed by the Allison arguments, and uh, I think those are really compelling. But I'm going to go with Becker because wait. He, Oh, Holston. Yeah. Holston. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, because, because Allison's also Becker. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, because he is, it's a, it's a tragic, it's not a, it's, it's, it's a, it, what is it? It's, it's a um, gift of the Magi kind of thing, you know, or it's, but it's not that. And it's, it's not a Romeo and Juliet either. He's following in her, her to death and he's using his death to spur some action it might be like a self-emoliation kind of situation and it's for what purpose he was competent sheriff he was on to something in the truth about the truth of, of things and to give his life up for that and to be so impacted by the death of his wife and you know, it, it, in a, in a way, it's a kind of suicide. I just think it's uh, as tragic a, a waste uh, of of any character's potential. I guess I could say. So okay, yeah. I, he, I, I, as well as I miss the character. I miss the actor, right? Because David Oyelowo did a, a such a great job, and he was such an interesting sheriff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he had a particular way about him and a way in the silo and him with uh, the mayor were a, a really great team. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm not happy that he's not with us for the rest no. of the seasons. Okay. And uh, Luke, what's your pick? This is a really hard question because <laughs> if there's one thing this season of Silo has nailed, it's doing meaningful character death. <laughs> They've done an awful lot of it. Uh, true. That's really like, true. This is this is George R. R. Martin levels of bloodbath going on. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to have to go with Holston. I think David explained very eloquently all the reasons why it has to be Holston. My reasoning is just much more simple than that. The way Oyelowo delivers the line "Sorry for all the fuss" mm. is just, just just gets me every time it's just a perfect encapsulation of that character in half a sentence and also the way he and Mans are in throughout that entire episode these are two guys that deeply respect each other and it's that great line you know as much as i love you you old bastard i love allison more which is just again the the writing of the show is really good at having characters say a lot whilst saying very very little um so i'm going to go with holston okay well the uh beckers are united in this award as they are united in death the the tie for winners of saddest death are allison and holston becker rather than clapping should we boohooing all right but now we get back to the laughing um, next category is biggest comedy queen, and our nominees are A. Marnes, B. Patrick Kennedy, C. Juliet, D. Danny from IT, E. Billings. Jean, starting with you. Can I can I take a pass? 
Can, can I pass the baton? Because I got to think okay. about this. All right. All right. All right, Luke, let's go to you. Okay, I'm going to go off list. I'm going to say Bernard for one scene and <laughs> one scene only. Everybody turn around, close your eyes, put your hands <laughs> over your ears. Every time so I've watched that, I've had to stop. That was good. Because it made me laugh. It's just like in the middle of this really dark, really serious show, you just have that one moment of utter absurdity, and it's brilliant. You too, Robert. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you too, Robert. Oh, man. Oh, that just makes me flinch. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, the, it reminds me of, it gives me the same vibe as, you know, in Always Sunny in Philadelphia when Charlie's <laughs> uncle has his hand, his fake hands fly off. And he goes, nobody look, nobody look. Nobody. And he just shouts it over and over again. Same vibe. Yeah. Same vibe. All right. Um, and what about you, John? What's your pick for Comedy Queen? Comedy Queen, I'm going to say it is when Sims is in the cell and the the deputies just don't know what to do with him. Okay. So who and are we nominating, Sims or the deputies? I'm going to say I'm going to say Sims because okay. Ooh, just just choice. the way just the way that he makes them so uncomfortable like it's fine guys. Get me a cup of coffee. Can I trouble <laughs> you for a phone call? You yeah. know, it's a it's a very funny to me. I don't know. I I'm I'm a big fan of like cringe humor, mm-hmm. and that was a very cringy scene mm. of these deputies. Like, I don't know if I am allowed to do this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and David, what's yours? I have a group nomination. Okay, I would like to put forward the entire uh, janitorial video computer <laughs> staff. Okay. They were so cowed by Bernard and they were always being driven forward like oh ah, they couldn't <laughs> ever quite uh, get it, get on top of what's going on. They clearly have computer skills but not cunning, not, you know, secret agency level cunning. And mm-hmm. so whenever they were being driven by Robert or, um, uh, or you know, by, by Sims or Bernard, it just felt like they were herding a bunch of hamsters or rabbits into, you know, forward. And they were always stumbling over each other and, and very nervous. And so in a weird way, it gave me a lot of comic levity uh, among all of those scenes because the IT room is very serious and they're watching everyone. And here's a bunch of computer operators just going, ah. Right. <laughs> so the biggest laughs were in the janitor's closet. <laughs> they were not guffaw I mean, laughs, just, but yeah, they made no, me I mean, smile. I always, yeah, made yeah, me, yeah. I, always, I always cracked a smile. I mean, just because we also got uh, Bernard in the janitor's closet, uh, Sims right. regular <laughs> of the janitor's closet. <laughs> Sorry, just, just before we move on, David, uh-huh. I, was, I was thinking as you speaking, like one of the comedy possibilities for season two is, I want the computer techs to form a union. (laughs) These guys clearly need a better contract. They are clearly being bullied at work by Bernard and Sims. So I think Diego Obvious clearly should be the union rep. There should be a new contract. There should be a a sem. They should be doing seminars. To take it even a step further is the fact that they can't talk about what they do in their real life. So if they're (laughs) hanging out with friends, family at the bar, or whatever, they have to pretend to be something that they're not, and they disappear for long stretches at a time. So they're under immense pressure and stress, and so. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they, yeah, yeah. In terms of labor versus control, they I don't definitely feel bad need a better for them. contract. 
Nah, I don't feel bad for them. I don't feel bad for them. They 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 know what they're doing. I don't feel bad for them. But who do you feel less bad for, Jean? Them or the Raiders? No, they all could go walk the walk outside and clean. (laughs) Raiders, computer techs, everybody, walk outside, go clean. All of them. I don't feel that. I I have I loathe both groups. All right. It's tough being a Raider because you can't tell anybody what you do. You were, you're yeah. going to just expose yourself to retribution. They're all accountants, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's like they can't all be pretending to be janitors, you know? Right. Even though they're right. going into the janitor's closet to work. Yeah. Um, I have questions. But anyway, yeah. Um, Jean, do you have a pick? Yeah. Um, I'm going off the the nominees, and I'm going okay. to nominate Sandy. Sandy, oh, okay. nice. uh, the yeah. way she delivers her lines, man, that makes me smile every time because she's so quick and sarcastic and acerbic, and I just love it. Um, everything that she says, she says with a like. There's a a, a hint of yeah, I know what I'm saying is not nice, and yeah. so what? Yeah, and I, and I, and <laughs> deal I just, with it. Yeah, and I just. Yeah, I, I love the way she delivers her lines um, and that mean spiritedness that she has when she meets Juliet is something that I can appreciate. I, I, really, okay. <laughs> I really like it. <laughs> so she makes, she makes me, yes, she makes me smile when I see her on screen. Okay. It's funny. This, this category, so we got four people who went off book. I'm going to stay on book. I made the nominees, so my pick's clearly in there. <laughs> I'm going with Patrick Kennedy because just every single time I started to light up when I saw him on screen. But that means we've got... It's a five-way tie. So you know what that means. No, I don't know what that means. Absolutely nothing. It means I got to play that sound effect. <laughs> and our five-way tie is between Bernard sims the janitorial it staff sandy and patrick kennedy Whoa. <laughs> well deserved well deserved, <laughs> well deserved to all, all five now the next category is uh the one i said was for you luke uh we've got best in mechanical ally who is not juliet uh so the nominees are a martha b shirley c knox d deputy hank e coop uh, Luke, who would you pick? Oh, I think this one. This one has got to be relatively easy. It's got to be. It's got to be Martha, because uh-huh. for all that the others have contributed in in one way or another, Martha is the character that makes the difference between Juliet surviving going outside and not surviving going outside. Uh, with her relationship with Carla and the revelation about the tape and that great line, it doesn't make sense unless it does. Um, so yeah, it has to be Martha. Although, like I say, I I really hope they make much more of the down deep next season because I just love that assortment of characters and I think you could do so much with them. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, what about you, David? Sorry, can you repeat the the category Um, again? Yeah, so it's best in mechanical ally who is not Juliet. So we've got Martha, Shirley, Knox, Deputy Hank, or Cooper, the shadow. Uh, I think. Deputy Cooper is a pretty good... Wait, Deputy Hank or Cooper the Shadow? 
Oh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Deputy Hank. Okay. Uh, I think he um, he's he's got a very Kylo Ren vibe. What's uh, Adam <laughs> Driver vibe to him? Uh, he's got long Billy hair. Billy Postlethwaite. Is that oh, is that his name? Did <laughs> is I that say the it? actor's name? Postlethwaite. Postlethwaite. Uh, All I know Wait, is he's always uh... got hush puppies with him, so I like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a looker uh, as a for a sheriff's deputy. He's quite a looker. I, yeah, I don't know okay. whether that's vibes, David, or just a haircut. He's got a very <laughs> Kylo Ren haircut, but I'm not sure it's Kylo Ren vibes. Uh, no, not Kylo Ren vibes. Definitely not. He's just yeah. got Adam Driver looks. And he's a big guy, and he's sort of uh, soft and dopey. And he does everything that I got from him is that he has a heart and that he cares. And he does his sheriff's job because he cares. And then he's now suddenly trying to navigate complex political waters that are way beyond his scope of experience or understanding. He's feels like he's really friends with everybody down in the down deep and that they're all a a pretty self-supporting community and they don't really need him to keep the peace as such. So he's there as a representative, but I think he is a person. He's somebody who, who cares and wants to care. And, and he found his expression as a sheriff, as somebody to help, society and not be a authoritarian person but as a uh, a constable type person i guess right. I'm, I'm trying to find the right uh, descriptor for for somebody who's been given a badge and authority but is not using it in an authoritative an authoritarian type of way so yeah he's just a he's a sweet sweet fellow i think okay and uh john who's your pick it's martha that's the correct answer okay. everyone what are, <laughs> what are we doing here what are we doing here <laughs> Why are we debating this? She's great. Uh, great choice to make her a woman in the show. She was a man in the book. Right. I know Hugh Howey commented on that in your interview. Yeah. Uh, it does work better, I think. Also, almost unrecognizable from the other big characters she's played this year. Rebecca's mom in Ted Lasso and um, the the Roy's mom in Succession. Yeah, she had a busy year. Yeah. But like, it's what what unique characters all three of them. Great actor, really love the character. Ten out of ten. Okay, and uh, and Jean. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with Martha. Yeah, I think she's the she she's the the backbone, the support like that Juliet needs, and what I think that so many other characters need as well. Um, the fact that she doesn't leave, mm-hmm. but everyone comes to her speaks to her importance. Yeah. Right. She doesn't leave, but everybody flocks. They all come to her. So yeah, I think she's, she's the godmother of mechanical. Yeah. 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 And um so yeah, Martha is really the yeah, at the top of the list. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Martha too, for all the aforementioned reasons and just also for, you know, we saw her be a leader even despite her uh, things that were restricting her. And then we saw her, you know, fight against to overcome these restrictions when it was required of her, when it was needed of her. And she did end up being kind of the MVP of the season by giving Juliet a better chance outside. Um, so surprising nobody, the winner of the best in mechanical ally who is yeah. not Juliet is Martha Walker. That's right. Yay. Yay. That is the correct answer. Good job. <laughs> Moving on to uh, most essential prop. Huh. 
So the options are A, heat tape, B, the camcorder, C, the Pez dispenser, D, the Georgia book, E, Juliet's watch. All right, let's start with Jean. I mean, it could be, I could go obvious and say the heat tape, uh, but I think the book. Okay. I picked the book. I, I, I love the moment when, you know, we see the book being open and the wonder and awe in the faces of the person who is opening the book. Yeah. It, 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 it's really, uh, it's almost biblical. You know, yeah. it's like a, a, like a revelation has been um, given to the book holder to go spread this news to the people, you know, from on high. <laughs> it was, I, I, I like, mm. I think it's the book. Yeah. It yeah, there was some good acting. Book. Yeah, it, some people yeah. were like, "Whoa, trees!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it made me think of of you know how we often in in our universe take these things for granted, mm-hmm. right? And um, to see the wonder and the awe that it inspires, and people who have never seen these things before, um, was really was special for me. So I I, I go with the book. Okay. And uh, David, what's your pick? Can I nominate the key, the server room key? Does okay, that fit yeah, within the sure. category? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Think it was a great setup for it. We see it at the beginning, and then they use it at the end. And it uh, something about the device itself really appealed to me as this cool little piece of tech. It also gives me vibes of like missile silo secret code you know stuff and then why is it flashing how is it connected does bluetooth really have that range and you know in the silo universe what's the what's going on there so it it really intrigued me and i felt visually it's the key itself and then the numbers on it tell a story but also and ask a lot of questions. And so there's a lot packed into a very, very, very tiny little piece of technology. Yeah. Okay. And uh, John, what's your pick? Uh, I need the choices again. Um, I can't keep tape. track of all these guys. Okay. Right. <laughs> Most essential prop, heat tape, the camcorder, the Pez dispenser, the Georgia book, Juliet's watch, or David nominated the 18 key fob. Right. Okay. Uh, the heat tape. I think it's, it's okay. the most consequential. It, I I liked how they seated it early. I think they could have done a little bit better of a job uh, seating it throughout. But this whole idea of she stole the heat tape. And I think in the books, there's a line that should have been in the show that was like, it's almost like it was built to fall apart. It was terrible. I stole it, but it, you know, it doesn't, right. didn't really work out for mechanical. Mm. Uh, that would have really sold it for me in the show. But otherwise, I thought it was the most consequential prop. I'm going to agree with that sub point, John, that I... I think they seeded it enough throughout the, the show overall, but what was missing was the fact that the heat tape in general, the average heat tape was crap. And right. maybe well, no, it, it was, been... it was the, the regular heat tape shitty. was fine. Right. Yeah. I think it was, it, it was the, the, the specifically IT, the yeah. IT heat tape that Juliet rerouted to mechanical. That was the crap one because IT is building the suits. Oh, oh, okay. Now I feel like fool. Like I've got that inverted. I thought that the IT tape was better for some reason. All right, I've got to say, David, I'm with I'm with you on that one. Okay. Because in in the episode ten show, Alicia actually read out the section where the heat tape 
the section of the book where the heat tape is explained, and it is explained much better in the book. Yeah, it yeah. Is. Than it is, yeah. than it is on than it is on the show. So yeah, right. we sort of needed a scene somewhere in the season of them like assembling the suit. I think mm-hmm. would yeah. have without like you didn't need a character to come up and say, "Oh, this heat tape is crap." No, right. yeah, right. You just needed a bit more of a visual steer. That the heat tape, right. that the heat tape didn't. It made sense once you got there, once you worked it out. Yeah, but it mm-hmm. took a little bit of working out. Yeah, even yeah. just to see when they're putting it on, they're having they're having a little trouble getting it to stick. They got to right. yeah, something, like, something like that. Yeah, yeah would have been something. perfect. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm also going to go for the the heat tape, by the way. But um, I do think yeah they they made it more subtle in the show like they didn't even want to they didn't even make it obvious that it is the one who builds the suits from the beginning so i can see they were trying to like hide it a bit better but i think they hid it too well for a lot of people i was just listening to well i listened to your hugh howie interview and then i was listening back to some interviews with uh, david s goyer who's the showrunner for foundation since we're mm-hmm. spinning up on that show and it's interesting to listen to showrunners or, or key creatives talk about the decisions that get made for these kinds of things and in some cases if they're too subtle people are oblivious and miss it or they take it and make it mean something completely off base or what the showrunners thought was a very subtle hint to it was for audience viewers so on the nose and so obvious and so glaring so it's a really fine line to be able to seed something into a show, make it important so that when the reveal does happen, it lands just right. And uh, I think that's probably one of these cases where they were, how do we do it without blowing ourselves too too soon in the storyline? Yeah. Phrasing, David, phrasing. <laughs> and uh, Luke, what's your pick for the most essential prop? I am going to go with... I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the heat tape as the most essential prop. Okay. But if I could have an honourable mention for the Pez dispenser, because this has set me off <laughs> yeah. on a, this has set me off on a journey of personal growth, finding out what the hell Pez is. That's right, you didn't because uh, as as a Brit, I've heard it mentioned in films, and that's American not a TV thing. Shows for ages not without having the first clue wow. what it is beyond it's probably some sort of sweet. So this is the first show that has actually shown me what Pez is and what a Pez dispenser is. And I have to I've, say, I... I'm a little bit disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> they they always were. They were the, the promise of a Pez dispenser. As a, I'm speaking as a, a child who mm-hmm. had several of these. Uh, they were always, the promise was always greater than the, the delivery. You got the thing, you loaded it up, you, you moved the head, and then you're like, okay. So what? <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's not like they tasted good. It wasn't like a great candy. No, and it's a tiny little candy. It's sugar. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, yeah it's just a, a hardened sugar encapsulation. So, uh, but it was fun. It, I I think Luke, when you said that on the podcast, I immediately went out and started scrounging for Pez stuff, and I learned a bunch, even though I have been a beneficiary of Pez oh, all the my Pez. life. Yeah, and you you shared that video, and I learned a bunch. So that's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, this has been an educational experience. Yeah. Yeah. Who knew we would learn so much about Pez? Yeah. <laughs> that's the great thing about being a podcaster is you, you yeah. just go down these rabbit holes to figure out you, you know all of these obscure weird things. Yeah. 
Um, I did hear, though, somebody say that they sell Pez at Tesco. So I don't know if you want to try it yourself. Um, <laughs> um, probably get a crate of them. A gross. Not at my local Tesco's, they don't. Yeah, I looked. Where I live now, there is like a proper American sweet shop that's just open. Okay. So next time, next time I'm walking down that way, I'm going to see if they've got Pez. Fingers crossed. Yeah. But yeah, I would also give the Pez Spencer an honorable honorable mention, but the winner of most essential prop goes to the heat tape. Uh, yeah. Obvious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Sticky sounds. <laughs> um, all right. Next up, we have best non-stair-based set. The options are A, the cornfield, B, the orchard, C, the generator room, D, Martha's workshop, E, Judge Meadows' apartment with all of those fun relics. Jean, uh, do you have a pick for best non-stair-based set? Cornfield. Cornfield? Okay. Cornfield. All right. Just dramatic. Yeah. It looks cool. Yeah. yeah. It, it, looked, it, looked, it looked cool. Yeah. And there was a bunny. And, yeah, and there was a bunny. And, and, <laughs> you know, Presumably with many bunnies. Right. And, and then her running through the corn stalks and, you yeah. know, it, it, it felt like I here we're in this, you know, very different world, but uh-huh. in a very familiar place. So, okay. Yeah, the cornfield for me. Okay. And John? Mm, best set. Can I, can I say mechanical? Um, can, yeah, I said the generator room. Right. So. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. I think the generator room. That was the coolest one. Unlike David, I enjoyed the fan banging. I thought that, that was very cool. It reminded me of the, there's a scene in in one of the Lord of the Rings things, or uh, maybe it's maybe it's in The Hobbit, where everyone's just like taking turns with a hammer, and I loved that scene. And this just reminded me of it. They're just you know whacking it and trying to get it back into shape, and there the the stress of it really got to me. Like I was really feeling the tension, and that whole room, and it's not just in that very tense moment. That whole room felt like it was constantly like about to boil over. You know, right. and, yeah. and I really, really liked that that environment in the show. Yeah, it looked very hot in there for sure. Um, and uh, Luke, what about you? I'm going to go with Judge Meadows' apartment because I thought that set played a big role in making that scene as impactful as it was because... Yeah. The way that the way that set was constructed, you could tell this was a rich person in the silo. This is a wealthy person in the silo, but also the fact that it was sort of slightly unkempt and not really looked after, I think, gave you quite a bit of insight into the the, the problems that the Judge Meadows was having in her personal life. And also, I I just like the same with George's stash. I like the randomness of the relics, right. Um, like there was a, there was, there was an etch sketch there was a Frisbee. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, yeah, there's a Slinky. Yeah. So it's just, it's just this collection of, um, this collection of toys and general crud that's just become valuable as everything does. It's, it's become valuable out of being old. Right. And uh, we talked about this in the pod at the time, but I really want to know, does Judge Meadows play with the etch sketch Um, like i just like i just like a scene in somewhere in season two of her just doodling with the edge sketch (laughs) because you've got a thing with knobs on 
surely you are curious enough at some point to turn one of those knobs and see what happens. Right. And then, you, yeah, it's easy to figure out. Yeah, That's it'd be easy that, enough yeah. to work out what was going on. Yeah, yeah I'm going to piggyback on Judge Meadows' apartment, too. Um, I just think that would must have been one of the most fun sets for the production de- designers to set. Um, and just, yeah, all of those all of those relics and stuff, it was a, a, a great scene to pick apart. Um, David, what about you? I have to go with, I think, Martha's workshop, but okay. I've got two other things I want to mention. First, we need a shout out for the Barbican Bevel. Anybody right. who's a design geek uh, or has affinities in that direction, you got to love the completeness of design that they went through to make sure windows and stairways, yeah. everything, doors all had that particular design flourish. And having right. been around the Barbican a number of times, I love that place. It's so weird. It's in the middle <laughs> of the city of London and suddenly you're in this futuristic, weird, concrete place. I just think it's cool as hell for a lot of weird reasons. So I, I loved the Barbican bevel. Uh, are Were the stairs in contention? No, I said no. except the stairs. Oh, you did say except the stairs. Okay. So then I definitely am going through, uh, going for Martha's workshop. I think to to stock that room and make it feel like it's supposed to feel, this woman who's never left this place for however many years, and it to be full of tech and useful stuff and somebody who has slight... Uh, oh, I I need, you know, tendencies of I need that screw or maybe I shouldn't throw that out. I, I totally vibe with that. And from a design standpoint, from the production designers to find all the right tech, to put it in there, to put it in the right places, to make it feel uh, organic, but everything in there was placed for a reason. So there's a very intentional process to get that room to look the way it does. Right. But to then have the effect that it looks organic, really, really great job. So absolutely my favorite. Okay. All right. Then that means we have a winner and it's Judge Meadows' apartment. And uh, I don't know what sound you make to applaud an apartment. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I I slinky, I guess. All right. Moving on to category number eight. It is Best Baddie. So the nominees for Best Baddie are A, Bernard, B, Sims. C. Meadows. D. Trumbull. E. Kathleen Billings. Kathleen Billings is a baddie? <laughs> In my book. That's rough. <laughs> controversial, Alicia. Really oh, controversial. Oh boy. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick her. I'm gonna say that. <laughs> I know there are people out there who agree with me. Um, all right. So who will you pick, John? I will pick Bernard because he's a complex villain. I see his motivations. I think he he believes he's doing the right thing. And as far as we know right now, maybe he is, right? Like, we don't know exactly mm-hmm. what's out there, exactly what's going on. He could actually be protecting more people by sacrificing a few. And sometimes that's what a, a leader of a country or an organization does. And that is a tough thing to wrestle with. And so... Well, he 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 almost doesn't care what Juliet thinks about him, which is interesting. He, he when when she goes, oh, it was you. He goes, yeah. <laughs> He's like almost resigned to being the villain. He's like, yeah, I know I'm the bad guy of this. I'm exasperated about it, but you know what? I'm doing what I got to do, and I have work to do. I can't deal with your nonsense anymore. So Bernard, mm-hmm. 
Okay. Okay. Fair. And and Luke, what about you? See, I'm not. Sh- I don't think this is fair treating Sims and Bernard as two separate entities for this. <laughs> we we we've been we've been we coined the we coined the portmanteau Sims Nard for a reason. But I I am gonna go with Sims. Okay. Um, partly because common just rocks. Um, intimidation, like he just is able to occupy that character of Sims in such a way that he is. He's both physically and emotionally intimidating. And what I think makes him probably a more interesting villain than Bernard is the family dynamic within the family Sims. So we find out that he has inherited this job from his father. We find out that him and Camille have some kind of plan. And by the way, I I love the Discord for this because I didn't take that as anything other than we need to look after Anthony, we need to look after our son. Whereas, like, everybody on the Discord came up with these really elaborate, really baroque, but really convincing theories of what the master plan of the family Sims is. Mm -hmm. And I'm fascinated to know whether there is any truth to that. Is there a plan, and if so, what is it? And what is Robert Sims's role within that? And finally, I just love the... I've uh, seen in um, the last episode where um, Sims and Juliet were coming. Do you know what I do? Do you know what I do? <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, man, back down. With the with the chair yeah, getting the, the beating. Yeah. No, with no with with Juliet. Oh, with Juliet in yeah. in Walker's workshop. It's like I really want. I would I would love to have been a fly on the wall. The day they filmed that, cause did like Carmen have to go off to one side to like compose himself? Did he like ap- have to apologize to uh, Rebecca Ferguson? Because wow, that was intense. I feel like I feel like the, they're probably both the type of actors that just kind of switch off as soon as the camera goes off. Yeah, well, I've heard that Rebecca Ferguson is, but I feel oh, like so what he's are we probably... getting for brunch today? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. All right, and, and David, who's your pick? Best baddie? I, I definitely have to go with Bernard uh, okay. for the same reasons that John mentioned. He's a complex villain, and I enjoy complex villains. Uh, Sims, as much as I enjoyed Common's performance, I'm going to counter. I'm going to counterweight uh, Luke your argument a little bit. I felt he was a little too over the top and simplistic for me. I get why maybe somebody in that role needs to be that way. Um, I think. Sims's character is a great counterpoint to Bernard's, and so it makes Bernard's deviousness uh, it it backdrops it a little bit more. And so, yeah, when we get the reveal, like, yeah, I'm the bad guy, and the whole time watching it, I was wondering why they were able to get Tim Robbins as an actor, his caliber uh, on this show, and now I see why. Now I get it. Yeah. At first, I thought he was he was overmatched for the role, but no. In fact, he's playing this role brilliantly, and that this role, like John said, needs some subtlety because we don't know yet how how many lives is he actually saving uh, at mm-hmm. the same time of being a, a controlling, authoritarian, secretive person. Yeah, yeah. And John, what about you? There can only be one, and it is Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> He's that guy. I'm telling you. Yeah, He's you picked guy. him early too, Jean. Early you were like, on, no I saw. Way. I saw through all of it. <laughs> I, I knew it was him from the beginning. 
uh, from the You're first like, I don't time, like his glasses. You know, first time exactly. First time he stepped on screen, I said, "Yeah, no, 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 no. He, this guy is not to be trusted, and he was number one on my board of evil, and it came to fruition. And this guy is, um, I don't care about." Anyone saying, you know, he's trying to save people and he has to make hard decisions (laughs) and all of that stuff. (laughs) That guy is just, he's a terrible guy. He's a terrible human being. He's doing what he's doing. And there's a part of him when I watch him that relishes in what he's doing and relishes in the power that he has over people, which is classic villain 101. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm doing it for your own good. But in actuality, it kind of feels good to make you or close your eyes and turn around. <laughs> turn around. Yeah. You too. Rather. Yeah, you Nobody too. Look. You John, too. John, can I ask you? Yes. Would you rather live under Bernard's regime or Gravik's regime? Ooh. Ooh. And this is a secret invasion uh, reference. Ooh. Yeah, and we just I just Ooh. finished editing episode four, so uh, and Ooh. we talked okay. a lot about Gravik. About, uh, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, if I'm a human, I want to live under... Bernard, because I'm still alive. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's let's say let's say there's no there's no scrollism. There's no human human. Uh, yes. He, 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 let's say you don't have to worry about that on a governance standpoint. Gravik's a human. He go- governs the same Gravik. way. Gravik. You want to live under Gravik? I know exactly who he is. Okay. All right. Then I know exactly what he'll do to me. Where, okay. as opposed to Bernard, I would be shocked and. Afraid. You got a whole, you got a whole document. You got the pact. Yeah, you follow the pact. And you're fine. <laughs> so he yeah. gave you a handbook yeah, on no, how to not cross him. I don't trust that handbook yeah. either. No <laughs> way. No he, way. I mean, he didn't write the handbook himself either. That's the thing. Ah, it's like, how can you yeah, trust that. somebody who doesn't ah. even know all the things? There yeah. you go. There you go. So definitely, because you saw you saw him in that in that finale. You know, he was like, what, what did he say? The founders left. The many founders. Mysteries. The founders. Yeah. yeah, give me the evil that I can tell is evil right away. All right. Well, the winner of this category is clearly Bernard, but I'm going to throw out my vote is for Trumbull just because he was the most uh, cartoonish villain for me. You know, I, I, do, I have the least sympathy for him. Let's put it that way, except for that moment where he thought that he had finally gotten the job just before he plunged to his death. Mm. <laughs> All right. Okay. Category number nine. Um this is the penultimate category of the main awards ceremony. So, best animal character so far. <laughs> options are A, Regina's cat. B, the bacon-loving dogs of supply. C, the snake that is Bernard. D, the bunny with a heart defect. <laughs> the rabbit. Uh, Full stop. Okay. I don't need to I don't need to think about that one. But the I, the second choice was the many babies that bunny inevitably had that populate the silo like rats. Oh, okay. Well, that's that is that is tough now. I'm going with the original bunny. Okay, he had a okay. heart of gold. All right, Sean. It's the bunny. It's the with bunny. The heart defect, man. <laughs> I mean, how can you? You can't move away from that. Yeah, that scene is just so. Uh, it's yeah. heart wrenching. <laughs> Everybody has a yeah, soft spot for the yeah. bunny with the heart defect. Yeah, I have, I have a yeah, definitely. It's the bunny with the heart defect. All right. And what about you, David? It has to be the cat. And the, cat? the fact that the cat is a Maine Coon right. breed, which is a, like a bobcat-sized animal. 
living in the silo. That's I, I flipped out when I saw that. I don't know if they, if somebody on set or the writer or somebody with some pull was able to say, yeah, we're doing a, a mean coon or the animal trainers brought that. I don't know how, but I, I just love the fact that it's not an average domestic cat breed. <laughs> um, all right. And what about you, Luke? Oh, it has to be the bunny with the heart defect because how long was Hannah Nichols waiting for the farmer <laughs> to not only be able to produce a bunny for her to experiment on, but a bunny with a heart defect? It's like, she must have with been... With a hole in its heart, yeah. Yeah, I could, I could just imagine her. She's like assembled the entire, the entire apparatus and she's just waiting there for months till the farmer found... A bunny with a heart defect. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I just, I, lo- I, I love that whole thing because it, it just underlines like Hannah's commitment to mm. to building this device right. and to making sure what happened to Jacob never happens to anybody in the silo again. So right. not only is the bunny with a heart defect cute, <laughs> but actually, I think the. I think it actually played quite an important role right. in the story because again, Hannah Nichols is one of those characters we don't see for very long, but the show does an amazing job of telling you who she is, what her motives are, and making you care about what happens to her. Okay, mm. all right, um, yeah, the bunny with the heart defect is a clear winner of the category best animal character so far, but my vote goes to the many baby bunnies that that bunny inevitably had. <laughs> Um, I like to picture them just like on all levels now. And yeah, book readers will know. Uh, Hugh Howie confirmed it's canon. One of the bunny's descendants is the bunny who plagues Marnes later in life. (laughs) Um, Well, at least the cat will have plenty of prey. (laughs) (laughs) Your pig's eating my (laughs) pig's? Probably. Um, Yeah. And finally, we've come to the last category of the main awards event. Category number 10, the most seriously fucked character going into season two. Yikes. Our options are A, Juliet, B, Lucas, C, Bernard, D, Billings, E, Patrick Kennedy. Mm, I'm going to say Juliet based on just the information in the show because she is literally in a toxic wasteland. Okay. Luke, what do you think? I'm going to go with Billings. Because I genuinely don't know where that guy's head is at um, at the end of this series. Um, You see, you would think it would be Juliet, but I think the show, there's nothing the show can do about this, but the show really suffers from from the fact that um, Rebecca Ferguson is an executive producer. (laughs) Plot armor, (laughs) ultimate plot They're not going to kill Juliet. She's like, I can believe they will kill every other character in the silo. They will not kill her. She is wearing all the plot armor. So it can't be Julia. Um, yeah, like, I really don't know where Billings' head, head is at. I don't know what deal he made with Simsnard, but I don't trust either of them to keep their end of whatever deal that is. Um, and it just feels like Billings is on a very tragic path. Um, I really hope I'm wrong because he is he is by some distance my favorite character in the show or at least the one I feel the strongest sense of empathy with for a whole host of reasons we've talked about 
throughout the podcast. Right. Um, but yeah, I think Billings is in serious trouble. Okay. All right. I'm I'm going to go with Lucas, and I think a lot of book readers will agree with me. I just uh, he's in a very precarious position right now, um, and I genuinely worry about what's going to happen with him. Hmm. Um, what about you, Jean? I'm going with Billings. Um, okay. Yeah, I told for all the reasons that Luke just said, um, but you know I have to go back to something that you said earlier that Kathleen Billings is a villain. Um, <laughs> and I agree with that. So okay. see, not only, I'm not alone. Not only is he on, you know, being, not only does he have to guard at work, but I also think he has to guard at home. He just doesn't know it yet. Mm, she's, she's doing yeah. her own, like she's got her own plans and they may not in, in, include him. So right. Billings, um, all his secrets are out and how that gets dealt with is going to be interesting. Okay. And David, I have to go with Juliet. The, to be out there, how is she going to get back in somewhere? Assuming that all the silos are constructed similar. Silm. I can't even say it now. Silmarillionly is going to be a challenge. She's got some better heat tape on her suit, but mm-hmm. how good is that heat tape in general? How much oxygen does she have in her tank? Where is she going to go? Uh, I I am on the most... Everybody else is... It's political. It's relationships. I think she's in the most mortal physical danger. Okay. Yeah. So then, yeah, that gives us a tie for the final category. The most seriously fucked characters going into season two are Juliet. And Billings. It's official. Official. Yay. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> yay. Yeah, 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 I guess. guess. <laughs> <laughs> yay. Uh, Yikes. And that wraps up round one, the main event. But we've still got our rapid fire round two coming your way right after this commercial break. Round two. All right, so we're going to begin with John and I, uh, this with five rapid fire questions just for book readers. So, John, I'll drop a category, and you just say the first thing that pops into your head. I'll do the same, and then immediately drop the next category. Okay. So, uh, best new character. Danny. I'm going to go with Camille. Most improved character from the book. Walker. Uh, I'm going to go with Billings. I think that he got more fleshed out. Um, best new concept. Um, the... I had this in my head a minute ago. I could have told you this five minutes ago. Um, what's a new concept? Do you have any choices for? No, you don't have choices. This is rapid <laughs> no, no. fire. <laughs> um, um, like like the flame keepers or like uh, the flame keepers. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. I will agree with you on flame keepers, which means I get to use a sound effect that I haven't gotten to use this entire game. Super ultra winner. <laughs> uh okay worst change worst change uh the tape the tape not explaining it enough not having the whole conversation where juliet is uh you know like saying like oh that it tape is crap yeah okay i think worst change for me is that not is lucas didn't get um 
he was set up in a weird way. I'm nervous about Lucas, like I keep saying. Best silo book. Dust. Dust. Ooh, okay. And best silo book. I'm going to go with Shift. I think that's a lot of people's most popular opinion. All right. Moving on to round 2B. Uh, and this one is for the show-only reps. So uh, Jean, David, and Luke, you're up. Now, without thinking too much, I'm going to ask each of you to please make three predictions about season two. Uh, what do you hope or expect to see? It can be big endgame stuff or something as silly as more leather jackets. So starting with David. Oh, three predictions. IT uh, staffers are not only going to uh, form a union, but they're going to revolt or one of them's going to uh, be a mole of some kind or have a moral crisis. I think they were, I think somebody's going to have a moral crisis and, and be a, a turncoat to their department. Okay. I think um, the down deep is going to start to flex its muscles and I think the judge is going to falter, uh, Judge Meadows, and we're going to see some destabilization in judicial. Okay. And uh, Luke, you're up. Okay. I think season two is going to be set across multiple locations. So I think part of the story will take place in the original silo. I think part of the story will take place in the new silos. So that leads on to my second prediction. I think we're going to get a lot of new characters in different silos. Okay. And the third prediction is we, well, this isn't, I'm not sure if this is a prediction or just something that has to happen, but we're going to see an election for mayor. Okay. Because Bernard is only mayor pro temp. So at some point there's got to be an election to either confirm him or pick somebody else. Right. And what happens to his head of IT role? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Jean, what are your three rapid-fire predictions for season two? One, I think Sims will attempt a coup. Um, okay. Two, um, Juliet will find other survivors. And okay. three, I don't think the entire world is a wasteland. Okay. And we'll see that. All right. And that concludes the first and last only ever Wolfshift Dust Lore Hound Silo Season 1 Very Unserious Award Show. I hope all the nominees and winners are touched and honored. To all the favorite scenes and characters we didn't have time to shine a spotlight on today, just know that you are always in our hearts and our rewatches. Um, now, any last thoughts about Silo Season 1 or Silo Season 2 theories to throw out there, David? I think it was a, a great show that was totally not on radar. I, at the beginning of the year, I put together a really big list of all the shows that were coming this year so that we had a better handle of our podcasting schedule. They've been really slow at announcing shows this year and drop dates and things like that. I saw Silo nowhere on any radars. There was no intel about this. And so I always love it when a show still seen like this and then is a wow, a real wow show that brings in community and fan theories and uh, does a great job in its writing and design and production. I think the bear qualifies in that severance qualifies in that. Um, I think I'm happy that 
we had this opportunity to explore an author. It sounds like from your interview that Hugh Howey's got a whole bunch of other work that's out there that's being right. optioned. Mm-hmm. So might be kind of fun to have a Hugh Howey uh, IP universe right. <laughs> of some sort. So I think it's great. And, and the fact that as an author, he is a, a person who understands the relationship between fandom and uh, the creator and that he's Definitely. open in that way and that he's generous with his time and generous with his support for other authors who have been in similar positions of him. So really all around kudos and stars. Yeah, definitely. I was really fascinated to find out that it was only the first half of Wool and that we have a lot more to go. I'm really excited for season two. I've posted some fan casts in the, uh, the discord silo book spoilers channel. Uh, I'm really excited. I really, I really am curious about even past season two, how they're going to handle a lot of the structure of the books going forward in like season three. I'm hoping that they bring different, different storylines together. They interweave things more than they were in the books, because I think that will keep us grounded a little more. And I'm hoping that they're doing that in season two as well. But overall, I was really happy with the season. I was happy with it before I read the books, happy with it after I read the books. And thank you, Alicia, for introducing us to this world. Well, I'm happy to do it. And Jean, what about you? Any last thoughts? Season one? Yeah, I, I thoroughly appreciated this um, this show. Um, it's something new to me, this entire universe, this entire IP. Um, and when I find something that I've not you know, encountered before, and knowing that there are novels, um, and it makes me want to read those books, that is the highest praise that a TV show can can get. So I really, um, this was one of my favorite uh, series that I've watched in in a while, and that is completely new to me, completely foreign to me. Was even better. Um, I'm looking forward to season two, and I'm looking forward to getting into the books. Yeah, great. I mean, yeah, I well said. I think that uh, the num just the number of people who have run out to get the books based on this show says something good about uh, the story and the show. So, um, Luke, what about you? Last thoughts in our last episode for this season officially? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll stick to season one because I think we'll do we'll probably do season we'll two do previews, sure. Yeah, and previews. So, um, I mean, obviously, really enjoyed it. Just really impressed. Uh, the quality in so many areas, so acting, direct acting, directing, writing, set design, the the score, um, the way it's been produced. Like I, I think I might have mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I love what Graham Yost as the showrunner is doing in pairing either an inexperienced director with experienced writers, or doing the opposite and pairing um, relatively inexperienced writers with experienced directors. Because, you know, normally on a podcast, we only talk about the showrunners when something goes wrong. So I think it's only fair to actually talk about a show that is being well run and that is actually um, constructing, um, you know, a pipeline of talent, Mm -hmm. um, both on and off screen. I know season two has largely been filmed. I am a little bit concerned what happens with future seasons in terms of the strike, the the multiple strike actions. Um, that are now going on. 
but I mean that, that's delays. a concern across the board. It's not right. silo specific. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I think, um, I think they might be stopping with their season two production now that, uh, no, that's the, the actors strike. strike. Yeah. yeah. But it is also filmed in the UK, which is a gray area because uh, this is technically an American strike. So right. it'll be remains to be seen what the, what effect this has. But I, I just to make it clear, I 100 percent support the strikes, because when you just hear about, you know, the things that are trying to be snuck into con- uh, into contracts like, you know, with the actors, um, the news, they said that. They were proposing to them that um, day actors get a one day rate and have their images scanned in that can be used forever, which is like straight out of Joan is awful from Black Mirror, like literally a Black Mirror episode. So, yeah. um, wasn't, yeah. there, wasn't there a film a couple of years ago that Robin Wright did? That, that, right. that was the Congress, the, I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was basically the premise yeah. of the film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Can I uh, plug a different podcast on a different network? Of course. So on the Ringer Network, there's a podcast called The Town with Matt Melanie, and he covers a lot of industry news around Los Angeles and in TV and film. And I believe it would be the Friday, the uh, maybe the 14th, uh, July 14th episode. He's uh, He interviews the chief negotiator for SAG-AFTRA, Duncan Crabtree, Ireland who goes into a lot of details about what were the offers that they were putting on the table uh, to in their negotiations. And some of the stuff that sounds you know, really reasonable from the actors, especially around the AI stuff, they are acknowledging that AI is here. But like you said, the idea that you get paid a day rate, they scan your likeness, and then that's it. You're done. Yeah. They can use that in perpetuity. They don't have to inform you when they're using it, any of those kinds of things. And that's what the studios were arguing for. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it just utterly ridiculous. It's hard so, to argue you're coming from a place of good faith with that. Right. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. But yeah. guys, Bob Iger needs more money, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was reading an interview with Bob, Bob Iger and it's like, do you not have PR people? Do you not realize? Yeah, how, exactly. Not when you're that how, rich. The terrible way yeah. in which you're coming across. Not when you're yeah. that wealthy. They, yeah. they just don't care. And, you know, fully support workers um, fighting for their rights. And I think sometimes we get um, bogged down into thinking Hollywood and it's, you know, all actors who are multimillionaires. But there are so many other people on sets that are affected, um, who are wage earners, uh, essentially. Um, there's not a workers' movement anywhere that, you know, I feel that one should not support. Yeah, yeah. This is this is ultimately about labor versus capital. Absolutely. So. Yeah, and it's just now hitting the streaming industry because the model has so been radically Skewed. upended yeah. by streaming. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just every time the model changes, you know, the execs uh, find a way to. To use it to their advantage to give less money. Of to, course. Yeah, exactly. Course. That's, so why, just, well, that's why you got to have a, yeah, unions, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and <laughs> just to talk, to talk to your point, Alicia, about Silo and probably other shows being filmed in the UK, mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything about what the UK unions are doing, but I find it really hard to imagine that they will that they will cross picket lines, either real or, or virtual. Um, there is a very prominent 
uh, production in the UK right now that is decided not to shut down. That's getting a lot of ire, and that's House of the Dragon. Oh, okay, interesting. Mm. And they say it's and their actors cannot strike because they are under a contract that says they cannot do a that. UK strike, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, um, getting back to the dystopia at hand, let's stick to the <laughs> fictional dystopias. Um, now, yeah, I, I will post on Twitter, you know, a summary of all of our picks from this award show so that we can uh, bask in the winners for, well, until season two. Um, but to wrap up here with a little news about this podcast, uh, this feed is going to be quiet for a couple weeks, but Luke and I will be back. Uh, we'll be back uh, to cover Dune. More on that in a moment. In the meantime, the Silo Fun is continuing on the Wool Shift Dust Silo Book Club. The second part of my interview with Hugh Howie is already available to book club members, though you'll definitely want to check out uh, part one of this interview in this feed first. And you'll also get to meet Sam, a.k.a. Silo TV fans, my co-host for the Silo Book Club. A big thank you to the Silozins who have moved in so far. In addition to the people I mentioned in the Hugh Howie interview episode, I also want to thank Chris R., Jacob M., Debbie S., who's my mom, uh, Darcy S., Eric S., Tom B., Kim K., and Abby, who have joined since then. Those Silozins and any other new members of the book club will find Sam and Mai's breakdown of Wool, the first novel in the Silo series, waiting in their podcatchers next week. Uh, and David and John, you guys have joined the book club too. Are you planning to read the books now, David, or are you going to go in for spoilers? Um, I am not going in for spoilers and I'm not going in for, uh, reading the books right now. I joined for solidarity. Okay. Oh, well, it's much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> and I know John, I believe John yeah. also personally subscribed. That's true. So. I was going to say, John, I hope we'll get to uh, share some of your thoughts as we discuss the books in these next couple of months. Absolutely. I'll be writing in. All right. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your support. Oh, and I want to hear, I do kind of want to hear the second part of Hugh's uh, <laughs> interview. So, yeah, there are some, there are some book spoilers. I, I mark in the notes, uh, I mark in the notes what spoilers are where, but uh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I'll be fine. And um, yeah, the, the Lorehounds, by the way, are the publishers of this podcast. You'll find me there with Jean and David on the MC Universe podcast, currently covering Secret Invasion, as I mentioned. Um and Jean, uh, is there somewhere else they can find you? Currently, no, but there are some things that might be in the works. So, um, yeah, stay tuned, Lorehound DNs. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're well, on you the can... Discord, though. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm on the Discord. So hit me up anytime. You can chat with all of us in the Lorehounds Discord. You'll find the link there in the show notes. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter and other social media as at Alicia CB, uh, spelled out for you in the show notes as well. And Luke, where can they find you? They can find me at, at Luke Middip, and I do another podcast with a couple of friends from uni looking at the worlds of politics and sport. We try to do one UK story, one international story, and one sports story. There isn't really a regular schedule to it. We do a podcast when we feel like we've got three stories to talk about. Oh, that's awesome. But that is, it could be said or one word. It's available in all good podcast outlets. Okay. And you'll also be able to find Luke and I right back here in this feed in August to start our Dune series, where we'll be talking you through the book by Frank Herbert, and then no fewer than four attempts to adapt that magnum opus. So 
We'll not only be learning the deep lore and themes of Herbert's universe, but also studying what works and what doesn't work when adapting the same source material from page to screen. And of course, we will be looking at Sting wearing a pair of wings over his gentleman <laughs> You have that to look forward to. <laughs> but, but first, we'll start with an episode on all the background you need to set the stage for one of the most epic stories sci-fi has ever known. Um, until then, we salute you, Juliet. Just wait until the Silo Squad finds out that you're really a Bene Gesserit witch named Lady Jessica. Twist! Uh. (laughs) A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>